0: Chapter 3 of The Maid of Scar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Maid of Scar by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter 3 The Fish Are As Hungry As He Is to fish at scar had always been a matter of some risk and conflict inasmuch as evan thomas who lived in the ancient house there and kept the rabbit warren never could be brought to know that the sea did not belong to him he had a grant from the manor he said and the shore was part of the manor and whosoever came hankering there was a poacher a thief and a robber with these hard words and harder blows he kept off most of the neighbourhood but i always felt that the lurch of the tide was no more than the heeling of a ship and therefore that any one free of the sea was free of the ebb and flow of it So when he began to reproach me once, I allowed him to swear himself thoroughly out, and then in a steadfast manner said, Black, Evan, the shore is not mine or yours. Stand you here and keep it, and I will never come again, for in three hours' time there would be a fathom of water where we stood. And when he caught me again, I answered, Evan Black, if you catch me inland meddling with any of your land goods, conies or hares or partridges, give me a leathering like a man, and I must put up with it but dare you touch me on this shore which belongs to our lord the king all the way under high-water mark and by the rod of the red sea i will show you the law of it he looked at me and the pole i bore and heavy and strong man as he was he thought it wiser to speak me fair Well well do you dear he said in welsh having scarce any english you have served the king do you and are bound to know what is right and wrong only let me know good man if you see any other rogues fishing here this i promised him freely enough because of course i had no objection to his forbidding other people and especially one vile scotchman yet being a man of no liberality he never could see even me fish there without following and abusing me and most of all after market-day that tide i had the rarest sport that ever you did see scarcely a conjure hole i tried without the landlord being at home and biting savagely at the iron which came like a rate upon him whereupon i had him by the jaw as the tax-collector has us scarcely a lobster shelf i felt tickling as i do under the weeds but what a grand old soldier came to the portcullis of his stronghold and nabbed the neat hide of my fingers and stuck thereto uh, till i hauled him out knowless woeless as we say and there he showed his purple nippers and his great long whiskers and then his sides hooped like a cask till his knuckle legs fought with the air and the lobes of his tail were quivering it was fine to see these fellows worth at least a shilling and to pop them into my basket where they clawed at one another glorious luck i had in truth and began to forgive my troubles and the long way home again to a lonely cottage and my fear that little bunny was passing a sorry day of it she should have a new pair of boots and mother jones a good sunday dinner and as for myself i would think perhaps about half a glass of fine old rum to remind me of the navy and a pipe of the short-cut bristol tobacco but that must depend upon circumstances now circumstances had so much manners contrary to their custom that they contrived to keep themselves continually in my favour not only did i fetch up and pile a noble heap of oysters and mussels just at the lowest of the ebb but after that when the tide was flowing and my work grew brisker as it took me by the calves and my feet were not cut by the mussels more than i could walk upon suddenly i found a thing beating all experience both of the past and future this was that the heat of the weather and the soft south wind prevailing had filled the deep salt-water pools among the rocks of pool taiwan and as far as Fafainen, when with the finest prawns ever seen or dreamed of and also had peopled the shallow pools higher up the beach with shoals of silver mullet fry small indeed and as quick as lightning but well worth a little trouble to catch being as fine eating as any lady in the land could long for and here for a moment i stood in some doubt whether first to be down on the prawns or the mullet but soon i remembered the tide would come first into the pools that held the prawns now it did not take me very long to fill a great holland bag with these noble fellows rustling their whiskers and rasping their long saws at one another four gallons i found and a little over when i came to measure them and sixteen shillings i made of them besides a good many which bunny ate raw neither was my luck over yet for being now in great heart and good feather what did i do but fall very briskly upon the grey mullet in the pools and fast as they scoured away down the shallows fluting the surface with lines of light and huddling the ripples all up in a curve as they swung themselves round on their tails with a sweep when they could swim no further nevertheless it was all in vain for i blocked them in with a mole of kelp weighted with heavy pebbles and then bailed them out at my pleasure now the afternoon was wearing away and the flood making strongly up the channel by the time i came back from Finanwen, whither the mullet had led me to my headquarters opposite skar farmhouse at the basin of Pool Tavan this pool is made by a ring of rocks sloping inward from the sea and is dry altogether for two hours ebb and two hours flow of a good spring-tide except so much as a little land-spring sliding down the slippery seaweed may have power to keep it moist a wonderful place here is for wild fowl the very choicest of all i know both when the sluice of the tide runs out and when it comes swelling back again for as the water ebbs away with a sulky wash in the hollow places and the sand runs down in little crannies and the bladder-weeds hang trickling and the limpets close their valves and the beautiful jelly-flowers look no better than chilblains all this void and glistening basin is at once alive with birds first the sea-pie runs and chatters and the turnstone pries about with his head laid sideways in a most sagacious manner and the sanderlings glide in file and the green shanks separately then the shy curlews over the point warily come and leave one to watch while the brave little mallard teal with his green triangles glistening stands on one foot in the fresh-water runnel and shakes with his quacks of enjoyment again at the freshening of the flood when the round pool fills with sea pouring in through the gate of rock and the waves push merrily onward then a mighty stir arises and a different race of birds those which love a swimming dinner swoop Upon Pool Tavan, here is the giant grey gull breasting like a cherub in church before he douses down his head, and here the elegant kitty wake and the sullen cormorant in the shadow swimming, and the swiftest of swift wings, the silver grey sea swallow dips like a butterfly and is gone, while from slumber out at sea or on the pool of kenfig in a long wedge cleaves the air the whistling flight of wild ducks standing upright for a moment with their red toes on the water and their strong wings flapping in they souse with one accord and a strenuous delight then ensues a mighty quacking of unanimous content, a courteous nodding of quick heads, and a sluicing and a shoveling of water over shoulder-blades, and in all the glorious revelry of insatiable washing. Recovering thence, they dress themselves in a sober-minded manner, paddling very quietly, proudly puffing out their breasts arching their necks and preening themselves titivating as we call it with their bills in and out the down and shoulders up to run the wet off then turning their heads as if on a swivel they fettle their backs and their scapular plume then being as clean as clean can be they begin to think of their dinners and with stretched necks down they dive to catch such luscious morsels and all you can see is a little sharp tail and a pair of red feet kicking bless all their innocent souls how often i longed to have a good shot at them and might have killed eight or ten at a time with a long gun heavily loaded but all these birds knew as well as i did that i had no gun with me and although they kept at a tidy distance yet they let me look at them which i did with great peace of mind all the time i was eating my supper the day had been too busy till now to stop for any feeding but now there would be twenty minutes or so ere the bass came into Tavan, for these like a depth of water so after consuming my bread and may-bird and having a good drink from the spring i happened to look at my great flag-basket now ready to burst with conjures and lobsters and mullet and spider-crabs for bunny who could manage any quantity also with other good saleable fish and i could not help saying to myself come after all now davy llewellyn you are not gone so far as to want a low scotchman to show you the place where the fish live and with that i lit a pipe what with the hard work and the heat and the gentle splash of wavelets and the calmness of the sunset and the power of red onions what did i do but fall asleep as snugly as if i had been on watch in one of his majesty's ships of the line after a heavy gale of wind and when i woke up again behold the shadows of the rocks were over me and the sea was saluting the calves of my legs which up to that mark were naked and but for my instinct in putting my basket up on a rock behind me all my noble catch of fish must have gone to the locker of davy jones at this my conscience smote me hard as if i were getting old too soon and with one or two of the short strong words which i had learned in the navy where the chaplain himself stirred us up with them up i roused and rigged my pole for a good bout at the bass at the butt of the ash was a bar of square oak figged in with a screw-bolt and roven round this was my line of good hemp twisted evenly so that if any fish came who could master me and pull me off the rocks almost i could indulge him with some slack by unreeving a fathom of line at the end of the pole was a strong loop knot through which ran the line bearing two large hooks with the eyes of their shanks lashed tightly with cobbler's ends upon whipcord the points of the hooks were fetched up with a file and the barbs well backened and the whole dressed over with whale oil then upon one hook i fixed a soft crab and on the other a cuttle-fish there were lugworms also in my pot, but they would do better after dark when a tumbling cod might be on the feed. Good luck and bad luck has been my lot ever since I can remember. Sometimes a long spell of one, wing and wing, as you might say, and then a long leg of the other. But never in all my born days did I have such a spell of luck in the fishing way as on that blessed tenth of July, seventeen eighty-two what to do with it all now became a puzzle for i could not carry it home all at once and as to leaving a bit behind or refusing to catch a single fish that wanted to be caught neither of these was a possible thing to a true-born fisherman at last things came to such a pitch that it was difficult not to believe that all must be the crowd and motion of a very pleasant dream here was the magic ring of the pool shaped by a dance of sea-fairies and the fading light shed doubtfully upon the haze of the quivering sea and the silver water lifting like a mirror on a hinge while the black rock seemed to nod to it and here was i pulling out big fishes almost faster that i cast in End of chapter three